0: So what is Nuclear Times? Well, I thought we needed something for our nuclear workers because we have so many sectors at the USW, not just steel. There aren't enough pages to cover everybody. So I decided to start this newsletter. Our USW Atomic Energy Workers Council is incredible. Those folks know more about their plants, their facilities than a lot of the contractor management does, because they've been there for years. Welcome to the Political Economy
1: Project with the goal of creating universal prosperity for today and future generations. My name is Evan Papp and I'm the executive producer of Empathy Media Lab, which publishes content on labor, political economy, art and culture, and we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today I'm speaking with Lynn Hancock, who is a member of the United Steelworkers and is the admin of the USW Nuclear Times Newsletter and the USW Atomic Workers Facebook page. Lynn, thanks so much for your time.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for
1: having me. And could you begin by just introducing yourself and how
0: you got involved with the labor movement? Sure. Well, actually, in the mid-80s, I did a little freelance writing. And the first article I wrote was concerning the trucks that came from, I think it was Pantex, through Denver up to Rocky Flats. And these trucks, they they had some kind of atomic material with them, and you had the guys in the dark vans behind it. For security, and I wrote about that and how they would traverse through the industrial section of Denver all the way up to Rocky Flats. And then I started writing for the Colorado Labor Advocate. Unfortunately, that paper ceased to exist a while back, but I started writing there and then from that position i went to wichita kansas to head the wichita hutchinson labor federation paper and i did that for 5 years covering the basically the aerospace industry and also you know the building trades and also the oil workers and then I went up to Kansas and City. And you worked
1: with Judy Ansel of yes. the Heartland Labor, labor Forum, Forum, who's right. also it, a part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network.
0: Exactly. up When I went up to Kansas City and I worked for a new labor publication and that lasted for a couple of years and worked with Judy. And then from there, I moved back. I wanted to go back to the mountains of Colorado. And I started a labor radio show called The Labor Exchange in Boulder, Colorado at community radio station KGNU. And I believe that's still going on now. And I interviewed all kinds of people. I interviewed Bob Wages, who was president of the Oil Chemical and Atomic Workers Union. And I remember, I think it was my first show, and it was interviewing him about the AFL-CIO convention in 1995, where there was this big change in leadership with John Sweeney leading the AFL and a whole new, you know, group of people who wanted to rev- revigorate the labor movement and wanted to focus on organizing. And so from there, like in 1997, I start, I got hired on by Bob to be the communications director for the oil, chemical, and atomic workers union. And so my reporting then started really focusing on the nuclear sector. I remember working with Richard Miller, who the union worked with as a consultant, and he was a consultant to the union. And that was before he started working on the Hill for various democratic committees. And I remember writing about the privatization of USEC, the U.S. Enrichment Corp., and then just continuing on as well as writing about the Energy Occupational Illness Compensation Program Act when that started. And then OCAW merged with paper workers to form PACE. And we continued, I I headed the department there and and ran the the monthly publication. And then we went bi-monthly and wrote about Atomic. And then in, let's see, 19, excuse me, 2005, PACE merged with the USWIA, the United Steel Workers. And then, you know, that, that continued and I continued writing about atomic and I then began, I thought we need a, a newsletter for the atomic workers because the USW is so big. I mean, they have people in all kinds of sectors from Healthcare to steel workers. I mean, all over the place. And I wanted the nuclear workers to have something for themselves. And so I've been focusing on nuclear since oh gosh, I guess about oh the early two thousands.
1: Very cool. Yes. So I see energy as everything. Energy is life. Energy mm-hmm. goes into everything from our food to our tools and into our steel production as well. And right. I feel the last 40 years we've been exporting our economy to other places that can have lower labor standards, right. lower labor wages, and less environmental protections. And then we're re-importing this, these goods without, that, are, that can be cheaper because they're not worried about the environment and not worried right. about their labor force. And it's decimated much of our economy and has hollowed out much of our industrial base. But we need a lot of energy, abundant energy to be able to Mm -hmm. mine or to smelt and be able to create steel and then to actually fabricate and Mm -hmm. build nuclear energy. We need a lot of uh, nuclear power plants. Then we need energy as well to be able to, for the fuel cycle. So we need a mining, we need a manufacturing and a production and generation. Mm -hmm. And all energy production has waste streams, yet nuclear, from my understanding, is the only one that actually accounts for its entire waste stream, unlike coal, unlike wind, unlike solar. Mm -hmm. And it's also the, the most dense energy fuel. So one pellet of uranium is worth, you know, something like 200 barrels of oil, a couple tons of coal. And so there's a very little amount of waste for that much energy. So I've mm-hmm. become a huge proponent of nuclear energy, even though I grew up with the Simpsons and seeing Homer <laughs> Simpson at the, the council, the councils uh, and, and, you know, always leading to meltdowns and things like that. And in this fear of, of nuclear energy I, I grew right. up in, but I've I've right. come to learn a lot more about it and how important it is for the future of our economy. Yes. And for our stability and low cost energy, and then also to create an export sector that we can mm-hmm. export to other countries, hopefully with high labor standards. And some of the, the most paid worker, the best paid workers of, in any energy mm-hmm. generation plants tend to be nuclear workers. Definitely. So, so I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you. And how, how is the United Steel workers
0: involved with atomic energy right now? Well, right now we're involved mainly in the cleanup of these plants that were involved in, you know, nuclear weapons production and nuclear, you know, military uh, nuclear weapons research. We, we represent workers throughout the department of energy complex from Hanford all the way to the former gaseous diffusion plants in Portsmouth, Ohio and Paducah, Kentucky. But we also represent the workers at the waste isolation pilot plant in, in near Carlsbad, New Mexico. And they handle all the transuranic waste and that, you know, they are expanding and they'll be hiring a lot of people because right now that's the only, you know, underground salt repository we have for transuranic waste. And then we also represent workers who handle the nuclear fuel for the nuclear Navy at nuclear fuel services in Irwin, Tennessee, East Tennessee. So we, you know, we have a variety of, of people who are involved and we have one operation in Eastern Pennsylvania where people deal with a nuclear power plant, but basically the workers at the nuclear power plants are represented by the electrical workers union, the IBEW. But we're involved there, but also at Idaho national lab, we are doing cleanup work, but we're also involved in the nuclear future there on their nuclear energy side because it's a huge research operation. And we have, they call it NE, nuclear energy. And we have workers who work on providing these unique tools to make the, the plutonium power uh, devices for uh, like the rover for the, for NASA space program. And uh, they do highly technical work. And they, it's like, it's a very much a team effort uh, among the workers who work with management, the engineers, and there's respect all around. And that's what's that's really neat to see our members respected because they will do whatever it takes, you know, to make a, a project happen and they'll use their, you know, ingenuity and their creativity to figure out problems to help a project move forward. But also I just recently wrote a story on the overhaul, the 10 year overhaul of the advanced test reactor, which is at Idaho national lab, which is a one of a kind reactor in the world. There is nothing more powerful like it, nothing more flexible. And that reactor handles all the test experiments for nuclear fuel. And is integral to our national security and for the new types of small modular reactors that are coming on board. In fact, now that the testing is done, and they started up in mid-July, and I, I read a piece where they're going to test some fuel for a new reactor that produces less waste, which is, you know, that's the biggest concern with nuclear energy is all the waste, you know, that you have at all these nuclear sites and also at all these nuclear power plants.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, and that's that's the biggest thing. And so when I see, you know, that they are developing nuclear energy, you know, that has very, you know, little waste, you know, that's something that people have to be educated about. And we still have, you know, the the legacy problem, you know, and there still needs to be a place for one big, you know, repository. You know, unfortunately, in Nevada, the Yucca Mountain failed because of politics. But the at least now the DOE, the Department of Energy, is trying to get buy in from nuclear communities where they already have nuclear operations so that maybe they could, you know, have some long term storage there.
1: Yeah. And speaking of education, I think it's really important to lay out the fact that nuclear weapons and nuclear mm-hmm. power are two completely yes. different things. And yes. A lot of people see nuclear plants as being able to explode like a, an atomic mm-hmm. bomb. And that just cannot happen. Right and the other part is a lot of these cleanup sites like hanford Mm -hmm. i mean we're we're huge department of defense nuclear weapons testing Mm -hmm. so that's where a lot of the cleanup of these of these places are not at the actual production and generation Mm -hmm. sites though when you decommission a plant obviously you need to have the due diligence to make sure that the workers are protected and that you don't leave a horrible, hazardous, super fun site that we have right. all, all across the United States. So and, and another point that I love making is that the Department of Energy has these incredible labs and oh, the yes. Idaho National Lab is world class. Mm-hmm. And I think when we look at the U.S. government, sometimes we say, well, they're misspending money, but the research and return on investment mm-hmm. of the Idaho National Lab if we could spend more money in things like that it would generate <laughs> mm-hmm. more jobs generate yes. more commercial products that can actually lead to more export and a lot a lot of benefits from that could you talk about how nuclear energy economy is supporting high wage high skilled
0: union jobs most definitely like at Idaho National Lab for example they are seeking high quality workers with experience and you know, who are interested in challenges and understand, you know, the materials, you know, our members are very aware of health and safety and always advocate for it and push for it. And, you know, this is an industry where if you get training, we have a union training program in conjunction with various community partners and the USW's Tony Masaki Center in in Portsmouth and Paducah for um, radiological control technicians. And because there's been a shortage at those sites, people have tended to just kind of travel around and make even more money. And they need people there to make sure that, you know, the radiation is controlled and nobody, you know, gets, you know, impacted by it and, and to keep it, you know, safe. And these folks, They can make upwards, you know, after years of, you know, some experience and everything they, you know, at the top level, a senior radiation control technician can make like $45 an hour. You know, at Hanford, it's not unusual to have $50 an hour jobs. And, but, you know, these are folks who have spent years, you know, training. I mean, there's constant training for the folks who are out there because there are new technologies new ways of like, let's say welding that can reduce the amount of radiation released. And so, you know, these are excellent jobs. I mean, they are, like you say, they're really at the top of the food chain, so to speak, you know, because you're dealing with not only radiation, but you're dealing with hazardous chemicals and you have to know what you're doing and you have to be able to suit up and, and make sure, you know, that you you have all your, uh, you know, Teas crossed and what have you, and it's not only about you know personal protective equipment. You know you're always looking for ways to engineer out you know the the hazard, and so we have full time union health and safety people, and they you know go around among the members and and the workers and to find out you know what are the problems, and they'll represent them and bring that up to management. You know so people don't get scared that if they you know report on something they'll be seen as a troublemaker. You know, with the union protection, you don't have to worry about that. You have to have a union there. You know, at a non-union site, everybody would be scared to death to bring up, you know, the problems that they see. And that is also dangerous for the surrounding communities. And it's bad for the bottom
1: line of the business. So if you see a crack or something that's corrosive, you'd say, hey, we need to stop this. We need to fix that. Mm Even though the bottom line may be affected short term, but in the Mm -hmm. medium and long term, it's better for everyone and it's better for the bottom line of the profitability Mm -hmm. of the company as well.
0: That's right. For those contractors. Exactly. Yes, because, you know, mistakes can be, you know, billion dollar, you know, mistakes, you know, with people getting infected and, and, you know, getting getting sick and, and dying.
1: So what is Nuclear Times, and could you talk about
0: how it came about and who some of the audience is? Okay. Well, I, I approached Vice President Carol Landry. who used to head the atomic sector. And I said, you know, we, we need to do a newsletter. Before that, I talked with Kip Phillips. He came from the oil, chemical, and atomic workers, and he ran the sector for years. And both of them were totally in support of the newsletter. And I, you know, I thought we needed something for our nuclear workers because, you know, even though they're, you know, they're a small group, they're about little, you know, over 3000 people, but, you know, they, as you can see with their salaries and such, I mean, they, they pack, you know, a a wallop of, you know, economics, you know, into the union, even though they're only 3000 people and, you know, it's, it's a growing sector. And we need to be in that sector. And the union real recognizes that. So I felt, you know, with the General Magazine, we we have, you know, so many sectors at the USW, not just steel. And there isn't enough, you know, there aren't enough pages to cover everybody. So I decided to start this newsletter. And I, you know, it's primarily for, you know, the the nuclear folks, but also it's for the general public because I post the stories to the Facebook page and also our new media department. posts them to the USW web page for for nuclear for atomic. And so I can't get too technical, but you know I try to translate it into layman's terms. And so you know we we feature stories about issues they're having, you know, with the contractors on health and safety. Our, our atomic council, our USW atomic energy workers council is incredible. Those folks know, I think they know more about their plants, their facilities than a lot of the contractor management does because they've been there for years. They know where everything, you know, is and how it worked. And so they're not afraid to go to higher ups in the Department of Energy to get some, you know, a health and safety problem resolved and to stop let's say use of a subcontractor that's not doing a job at all you know like you know cleaning of uniforms or whatever it is you know and they're also not afraid to go to the politicians to to lobby for more money to do these you know do this cleanup work effectively and safely and so i mean they're incredible you know they are just They are just incredible folks. And so I feature their issues. I talk about their their contract negotiations, which are totally different than regular negotiations because you have the contractors, you have the Department of Energy, you have the union. And, you know, the union has, you know, made sure that we at least get access to the requests for proposals. So we know that there's language in there protecting the union, recognizing it and saying, you have to recognize the union. You have to continue on with the existing agreement until you negotiate a new contract. And it can get, you know, pretty convoluted because you have the Department of Energy who says, we're not involved in negotiations, yet they fund those contractors. so. You know, if if they don't, if, if the Department of Energy doesn't want to do defined benefit pensions, they, you know, they won't offer that money, you know, to the contractors. They'll say to the contractors, well, you can do that if you want with the money we give you, but that means something else has to be taken away. Yeah. So it's, they're like in the background, in, you know, in these negotiations. So it's different. It's different. We also help the communities. Like, for example, at, at the former Paducah Gaseous Diffusion Site. Every Christmas, they gather presents and money to help the community. Like I said, they've done. They do community training to get more people from the community to work in the plants, so they have the qualifications. And and they do a lot, you know, for you know their the local communities. And they work with community groups like the Energy Communities Alliance. They work with folks like that. And, and they also, our union members are on the advisory boards, the community advisory boards for these facilities so that, you know, they can explain to everybody who is not familiar with, with the operations, what happens there. And now our union is, is definitely advocating for. What happens with these sites once they're cleaned up? We need more industry there, more nuclear industry there. And so there's a big push to reindustrialize industrialize them. Great, great. Yeah. So from my understanding,
1: these communities that have these nuclear plants mm-hmm. have high-paying jobs. Yes. They're a huge tax base as well. Oh, yes. And yet we're seeing premature closures in New York at Indian Point, mm-hmm. Palisades in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And Emmett Penny writes about our nuclear plants as these beautiful industrial cathedrals that can mm-hmm. last over fifty years plus. And we are just shutting them down prematurely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we've created these markets where low cost, low value wind and solar that's intermittent that is guaranteed to shut down mm-hmm. versus a nuclear plant that you have fuel on site up to eighteen months it can run. Mm-hmm. And it's it's generating power ninety percent of the time and it it has a very small amount of of waste and mm-hmm. very high paying jobs. And right. we're shutting these down. And a lot of these workers were losing and we're losing the mm-hmm. skill and this knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I'm a part of this this new generation that grew up with the Simpsons, maybe being afraid right. of the nuclear power, saying right. we have to do this if we yes. want to survive economically. It's energy security national security yes and and if you have the belief that everyone should have energy and electricity throughout the world right we we can be a leader in this mm-hmm. and and so that's really my hope and and everything that you're doing with communicating about nuclear energy and about mm-hmm. the the labor component, the union component mm-hmm. so what are some of the challenges that you've found in talking about nuclear in the United States?
0: Well, you know it's it's You know, you have so many parties involved and there's a lot, there's billions of dollars involved with these contractors, you know, and the Department of Energy and its contracting system. And so, you know, it can kind of get convoluted at times. (laughs) I wish the Department of Energy would not have these bonuses for early cleanup because I think that it does have an impact, a negative impact on safety, or it can. It can. They say it doesn't, but it can. And so, you know, that's that's a challenge right there. And, you know, also, like you say, you know, to educate people that nuclear is not evil and that we have highly skilled people who are concerned for the safety of everyone, not just themselves and their families, but everybody in the community because they live in those communities. And so... You know, that's, that's been a challenge as well. And also just to, it's a challenge to understand the talk in the, in the nuclear sector because everybody speaks in acronyms, including our folks. I have to create a cheat sheet, you know, a lot of times, you know, to understand what they're saying and, or to interrupt them in our Atomic Energy Council meetings and say, you well, know, what is that again? What does that stand for? Because they'll just start whipping it off, talking about all these technical issues. And so being able to explain that to the public clearly is, is also a, a challenge. And I will say that at, at the uh, Idaho National Lab it, with that new, that advanced test reactor, they do test fuel to enable some of these plants, power plants to stay open longer. And, you know, like, unfortunately, Indian Point closed down. I can't remember if it was politics. Politics is involved a lot. in And the a lot of
1: natural gas investment uh, with yes. the facade of wind and solar that it backs up. And you get a lot of right. environmentalists who are afraid of nuclear, but then mm-hmm. they're actually just bringing in natural gas behind it, which is dirtier
0: right. and more expensive. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And. And there are so many free sources I've discovered on the internet about that you know to learn about nuclear power and to see what's going on around the world, and and that people you know in the nuclear sector, you know they're they have a very high conscience. I mean you know when with the war going on that Russia has in Ukraine, you know look at those nuclear power plants. The International Atomic Energy Association, or I forget what it's called. You know they've gone in there to ensure that you know the the these plants remain safe that the workers get the rest they need. There's concern there about keeping everything safe, and yeah. and you see that in in this industry. I mean people don't people know what they're dealing with and they want it to you know be safe so that there aren't any accidents. And I see that more in this sector you know than among management even than you know I have other energy sectors.
1: Yeah, even. The Germans have forgotten that energy is life, and they're in the process of shutting down all their nuclear reactors. Yes. And now they're rethinking, being like, hey, maybe we could use these now that uh, mm-hmm. we're so dependent on natural gas of an adversary. That's right. And we used to be the leader in nuclear, and mm-hmm. now we are starting to get lapped by China. Just mm-hmm. announced a $450 billion buildout of 150 reactors in the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. The amount of skilled engineering that that is going to create in that country, that's already the largest builder in the world will make them so competitively advanced compared to everyone else Mm -hmm. that is building oftentimes over budget and over the time frame. So we need to get our ducks in a row and really Mm -hmm. build up our own labor force and our own internal capacity of both mining, Mm -hmm. manufacturing. Production, generation, and then the export economy, and so I'm I'm hopeful when I meet people like you and uh, people within the union movement Mm -hmm. that have worked at these plants and see how how much benefit they are and Mm -hmm. uh, compared to other plants. You know, I'm can be the the nuclear plant can be much cleaner as long as it's the right measures are taken to to ensure Mm -hmm. the continued operation of it. And so looking at the future of union led nuclear energy in America, (laughs) where are you hopeful?
0: I am hopeful that, you know, we continue the research and activation of these small modular reactors and other kinds of reactors that produce very little waste. And that will involve people who are, you know, very, you know, who are very well trained, who have the technological knowledge and know how you know to do it and you know we need we need union involvement in that because there's pride in the work the and also the the workers will ensure that you know management keeps everything safe and will pursue problems before they become near misses and and disasters so you know i i think it's integral that you know unions be involved and i know that the USW is is very involved in it And as well as, you know, repurposing these sites, we've cleaned up like Hanford. Hanford won't be cleaned up for, oh God, another 70 years or so. But with Portsmouth and Paducah, they, you know, they will have, you know, they can have a future there for the community. And so we have our locals there working hard to work with the community advisory boards to get funding for projects from the Department of Energy and other sources so that you know we can have more nuclear research and activity at those sites you know that can you know benefit our country and and like you say with china for them it's a it's a big strategy because then they you know i think it's part of probably is part of their belt and road initiative where they want to have influence around the whole world you know t- against the us and they offer this stuff you know this this technology to other countries you know, without, you know, these countries get it, quote, for free, but then they're controlled by China. And that's not good. We don't want an authoritarian world, you know, big brother around the whole world, like 1984. And so that's why it's essential that we've got to have the same kind of push for, you know, safe nuclear energy here. And like I say, you know, the people who lost their jobs at Indian Point, they should look at Idaho National Laboratory because they need highly qualified, skilled people. And, you know, there's work there, definitely. And always at these other sites, there's work.
1: And Hancock, (laughs) member of the United Steelworkers, thanks so much for your time.